Welcome to the Danny Picard Show, Wednesday, October 14th, 2015. As always, broadcasting from the Beantown Athletic Studio in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Beantown Athletics is the only in-house union screen printer in Boston. They specialize in custom uniforms and business apparel. Also, home of the best skate shopping in New England. And the best deal, too. It's called the Beans Club. Join the Beans Club today for just 45 bucks which gets you 10 skate shoppings for the price of eight. That's right, two free skate shoppings when you join the Beans Club today. So grab your skates, swing by the shop on Granite Ave in Dorchester. There's plenty of parking out back. Give them a call for more information, 617-282-4181. That's 617-282-4181. And make sure you tell them I sent you. I got my skates here today, ready to go. Because uh, I begin uh, my hockey season tonight, my men's league season tonight. Though we can't play in Southie, which is what we usually do. We have to go over to the North End rink because they're working on the Southie rink. They started over the summer. It's not going to be ready. They say until January, but I mean the rink closes in March anyways. And from some people that I talked to, it doesn't sound like they're even going to open the Southie rink this year at all. So it looks like we're going to be skating over in the North End all season long. I mean, I can't complain too much. It's not that bad of a drive, but it's worse than just, you know, putting the hockey equipment, throwing the hockey bag and sticks in the car and taking a 30-second ride down to the rink. But uh, I'm excited to get my men's league season, my hockey season going tonight. I got my skates in here. Dunny will be shopping at my skates in no time If I'm bringing my skates here, you should be too. Again, Beantown Athletics, join the Beans Club today. Ten skate shoppings for the price of eight. So uh, with that said, here in the Beantown Athletics studio, like I do every Wednesday, I'm going to preview the upcoming week in the NFL. This week, it'll be week six. Uh, We got 14 games on the schedule, four teams with a bye this week, the Cowboys, Raiders, Rams, and Buccaneers. Uh, The schedule begins this week, week six begins tomorrow night with Atlanta playing in New Orleans on Thursday night football. It ends on Monday night with the Giants in Philadelphia, an NFC East matchup there. So I'm going to do the week six NFL preview. I, I preview the next week. I turn the page to the next week every Wednesday on this show. But uh, i got to begin with baseball because I'm a postseason baseball guy. I told you I am much more interested in that right now on this Wednesday morning than I am, I say early afternoon, Wednesday. We'll call it Wednesday afternoon when I'm recording this podcast today. I'm much more into postseason baseball. And we got two huge games today on the schedule. Two game fives, okay? ALDS, game five, Texas Rangers in Toronto against the Blue Jays. Cole Hamels versus Marcus Stroman. Both of those pitches going on normal rest because this is, what, a rematch of game number two. And that's at 4 o'clock. And then at 8 o'clock tonight, we get ALDS game five. Houston Astros in Kansas City against the Royals. The Astros, I hope they uh, I hope they dried off their uniforms and dried the champagne off that they were, you know, spraying all over themselves after they had that one big inning in game four in Houston. And then all of a sudden, before they could even get an out in the next inning, the Kansas City Royals said, well, 
by the way, the game isn't over yet, guys. And the Royals come back, and they win that one, and they force a game five back in Kansas City. It'll be Colin McHugh against Johnny Cueto. Again, that game is at 8 o'clock. And when you look at that matchup, you have Johnny Cueto on normal rest. McHugh is going on extra rest, in extra days rest. So out of the four pitches that are starting today, in the game fives, only one of these pitches are on extra rest. And if you listen to me, you know how I feel about that. I don't like the extra day's rest. I don't like any extra rest at all. So I'm not going to. And even though I don't love Johnny Cueto in the postseason, and McHugh, you know, he ended up getting the win in the previous game that he pitched in this series, or the Astros won that game. Uh, you know, he hasn't. That, that was what? Game one? You know, he hasn't pitch since game one so that is not something that I like every single ALDS series was set up for the game one starter to pitch on short rest in game four and if necessary take your game two starter and pitch him on normal rest in game number five now that's exactly what everybody else is doing but Houston the Texas and Toronto series their game five today at four o'clock Texas in Toronto, Cole Hamels pitch game two. He's going in game five on normal rest. Marcus Stroman pitch game two for Toronto. He's going in game five on normal rest. Houston, Kansas City, McHugh pitch game one. He's going on game five on extra rest. And Johnny Cueto pitch game two for Kansas City. He's going on game five on normal rest. So I, I just don't like the extra rest. I really don't. In fact, I'll take a guy on short rest over the guy on extra rest any day of the week. And that is why the games last night, I told you going in to those NLDS game fours last night that I I took John Lackey over Hamill. I took Lackey on short rest over Hamill on extended rest. I mean, Hamill hadn't pitched since, what, October 1st? I think he was going into that game on like 12 days rest or something like that. That's just too much. And Hamill let up a home run in the first inning. Now, Lackey wasn't great. He only pitched three innings. I think they, you know, if that's an American League game last night, I think Lackey stays in that game. The reason they took him out was because they got in a little bit of a hole. They fell behind in this one. Lackey threw, left a couple pitches up and uh, you know, a couple absolute bombs from the Cubs in this game. And it's early. You got a couple runners on if you're St. Louis on the road. You know, if you're Mike Matheny, the manager of the Cardinals, you're saying to yourself, all right, we got to pinch hit for the pitcher. We have to. I think in an American League ballpark, Lackey stays in that game. I think he settles down, and I think he probably go, gives you five, six innings and, and leaves the game only allowing their four runs. It wasn't a great outing, but it was. De- I definitely thought it was a winnable outing. It's just in the National League where you have an opportunity to put somebody at the plate to drive in a couple runs here instead of having the pitcher hit. You have to manage it differently. So Medini had to pull Lackey from that game earlier, probably earlier than anyone would have pulled him in an American League game, even on short rest. And, uh, you know, Hamill wasn't great. And I thought that Joe Madden went to the bullpen at the perfect time to take Hamill out of that game. And the Cubs win it. The Cubs defeat the Cardinals last night 6-4 to at Wrigley. They win their NLDS series in four games. They're celebrating at Wrigley. It's something that, you know, we've, 
we've never seen. So um, it's celebrating a series at Wrigley. Good for the Cubs. Good for the Cubs. And I told you, going into the postseason, I think the Cubs are going to win the World Series. And a lot of that theory had to do with the fact that they have dominant pitching. Jake Arrieta is one of the hottest pitchers on the planet, though maybe brought down to earth a little bit in his one outing in this series. But you also have John Lester, who, you know, if I were the Cubs, I would have been starting Lester on short rest against Lackey last night. They didn't want to do that. They went with Hamill. Again, Hamill only lasted three innings. Uh, They got some offense. Look, they, they got a huge home run in the second inning from Baez. And that's another thing with the Cubs. They got the pitching. They also have, they just have young, cold-blooded kids on that team in that lineup. These kids are cold-blooded. Javier Baez, home run in this game last night in the second inning off John Lackey. And, I mean, Baez starts, he comes into game three for an injured Russell at shortstop. They give Baez the the start at shortstop in, I, I mean, the biggest spot of the kid's life. He only played, he only had 76 at-bats in the regular season. 22 years old. 76 at-bats in the regular season. They give give him the start in this game. You know what he does? He hits a home run in his first at-bat. Hits a home run in his first at-bat. To give the Cubs a 4-2 lead in the second inning. Right? And essentially, based on the way it played out, and the Cardinals then having to you know, pinch hit for Lackey while they trailed 4-2 with runners on base uh, in the top of the fourth inning. You know, Baez essentially ended Lackey's Lackey's day. And we're talking about John Lackey, who is just dominant in the postseason. So, you you got an absolute bomb later in the game from Schwarber. And we saw what Schwarber did, right? We saw what Schwarber did in the wildcard game. Just had a monster game. You know, RBI early, then had a huge home run after that. You're playing, you know, off of Garrett Cole against the Pirates. And, of course, we know the start that Arietta had in that game, giving you the complete game. But, I mean, this Cubs lineup, for anybody that questioned some of these kids and say, oh, they're too young, they have postseason inexperience, they're going to be nervous, you know, they're going to be uh, squeezing the bat too tight, they, they're just not going to be ready for this moment against... Look against a Cardinals organization that has been there many times before. I, I think the Cubs have pretty much answered the questions that anybody has had about the youth and inexperience of this lineup. These kids are cold-blooded, and you saw it yesterday with, with Baez. Second inning, home run, ends Lackey's day. <laughs> I mean, John Lackey is a postseason animal, and we saw what he did two years ago. We saw what he did in game one of this series. But Baez steps right into the moment, as big a moment as you could possibly be in in your career. And he hits just a huge home run for this Cubs team. And the Cubs are celebrating. Cardinals are done. Really, the Cardinals, they just, too many injuries, too banged up. They had 100 wins in the regular season. They were just they were just too banged up. And, you know, you look at the postseason, you got Wainwright coming out of the pen. He gave you two innings yesterday after Lackey, two shutout innings with one strikeout on 17 pitches, but what you needed was you needed Wainwright to make a start in this series, and he couldn't do it because, you know, he returned late uh, after an injury in April, and he missed all season, 
so you had him coming out of the pen that just wasn't good enough. You know, the Cardinals needed that Carlos Martinez was out. He got hurt in the last week of the season, last two weeks of the season. Michael Walker looked like he hit some type of wall as a young kid, not used to throwing this many innings or pitches in a season. Uh, sure, you had Lackey, but it turns out it just wasn't enough, and you had some injuries in your lineup too. I mean, you you couldn't start, you couldn't get Molina into the lineup there for Game Four. So uh, the Cardinals just too many injuries for a 100 win team. But also the Cubs, I I'm not trying to take anything away from the Cubs. The Cubs get a whole lot of credit here for the things I mentioned. They have dominant starting pitching. Okay, Arietta, we've seen what he is, how good he is right now. Lester, we know how good he is in the postseason. And, you know, on top of that, you got a lineup that's filled with young kids who you can, at this point, as they celebrated at Wrigley yesterday, you can throw out the fucking window that this team and this lineup is too inexperienced to be successful in the postseason. Because I'll tell you what, every single one of the kids in this lineup is cold-blooded. That's what they are. I mean, look at it. Look at it. Baez with the home run. Rizzo with the home run. Schwarber with the home run that they say went only, what, 438? I'll be damned if that didn't go 500. That was a missile. And, you know, on top of that, you got some big hits from Fala. Solia had some big hits. Chris Bryant. I mean, it goes on and on and on. It, the, the Cubs, they just look like... They have all the pieces, don't they? They have all the pieces to win it all. And now, they, as they celebrate, maybe a little hungover today, they'll sit back and watch Game 5 between the Dodgers and the Mets tomorrow night, which, on Thursday night, which is going to be a matchup between DeGrom, Jacob DeGrom, and Zach Greinke. Jacob DeGrom and Zach Greinke. And... This is last night, Kershaw, I told you, you know, yesterday's podcast, I said there were two pitches in these Game 4s last night in the NLDS. There were two pitches that I would have put my money on. Lackey on short rest and Kershaw on short rest. Now, I think I felt a little bit more comfortable with Kershaw on short rest. Because, you know, if I lined him up against the wall and said, give me someone right now, Kershaw or Lackey, you know, I'd probably take Kershaw. As much of a lackey guy as I am, I can't I can't ignore the fact that Kershaw is one of the best pitchers on the planet. Yeah, I say that about Arietta. I have to also say that about Kershaw, right? I mean, I'd lo- I'll take John Lackey on my team any day of the week over most pitchers in baseball, especially in the postseason. But Kershaw, even with some postseason struggles, I, I just, look, I- I've seen what he's done in his career. And just recently... You know, even though in the first game he pitched in this series, right, in game one against DeGrom, Kershaw didn't pitch bad. DeGrom pitched fantastic. And, you know, I, I still looked at Kershaw and thought this was a huge game for him last night. And out of both pitches that I, I felt comfortable with on short rest and Lackey and Kershaw in those two different games, I felt more comfortable with Kershaw because Kershaw to me and people say, well, the narrative with Kershaw is he can't win the big game. Well, I've seen some things from him recently that show me there's some improvement in these big game situations from the kid. Now, on top of that, just knowing how good he is, to me, it's just a matter of time till he busts out and takes the team on his back 
and wins them the big one. And last night was his moment. He's in City Field against the Mets team. The place was rocking. They want, uh, you know, they're yelling for Utley still. I mean, they got signs in the stands that are things that you probably couldn't even show on TV last night. This is a hungry Mets fan base that knows they have the pitching to do something special in the postseason. Here's the problem. They didn't go with their best guy that they could have last night. They went with the kid Mats. And uh, look, the kid Mats, he's good. He's got good stuff. He's young, but he hasn't pitched since like September 24th. I mean, it's just, I don't care if he's hometown kid or what. I don't care how good his stuff is. I don't care how many simulated games you might throw. To be on that mound in that moment when you hadn't pitched in a game in, you know, in what, 20 days? I mean, it's just, it's too much time off for me. I didn't understand why the Mets didn't go with DeGrom on short rest, only because when you look, if you don't win that game like you didn't, you're, you're giving the ball to Noah Syndergaard in game five, and I assume with Matt Harvey being available at some point in that game. Now, though, maybe not, given the whole Matt Harvey plan and the concern that Harvey and his agent have for his arm coming off Tommy John. But... I just, I look at the way the Mets handled this, and look, look, they got beat last night, and you may be even able to make the argument that if the Mets started the Grom, maybe the Dodgers still would have won based on how good Kershaw was. Kershaw was dominant. Seven innings, three hits, allowed the one run on the one home run that was a pitch he left up, the Daniel Murphy, but, you know, if you ask... If you ask Kershaw and say, "Well, if I told you that going into this game, you'd, you know, you give me seven innings, you'd left, you would leave one hanging to Daniel Murphy, and that would be a solo home run, and that would be it on 94 pitches, and you'd strike out eight. He'd say, "I'll take that, and I'll, I'll, I'll take the package of throwing, leaving that one hanging to Daniel Murphy, as long as nobody's on base." And yes, nobody was on base, so he could afford to do that. But you know, other than that one pitch, Kershaw was great last night. Seven innings, three hits, the one run and the home run. Walked only one, struck out eight on 94 pitches. Dodgers win it 3-1. They force a game five, as I mentioned, which will be tomorrow night. Granky versus DeGrom because the Mets did not throw out DeGrom last night. But you never know. I mean, you put DeGrom in that game last night. You know, maybe, maybe he doesn't let up a couple hits in the third inning. Maybe he doesn't let up three runs in the third inning. I mean, maybe you could try to squeeze out. Maybe then that one home run from Daniel Murphy could have been a difference maker. Right? That's the way I look at it. That's the way I would look at it if I'm a Mets fan because it's not like you have some schmuck ready to go for Game 5 on normal rest. You would have had Noah Syndergaard in Game 5 on normal rest. So now you're going to Game 5 anyways, and sure, you got you get the Grom going. I get that. You got the Grom going. But um, it's the Grom on extra rest. It's the Grom on an extra day's rest. And you know how I feel about that. I do not like the extra day rest. He's going to go up against Zach Greinke, who pitched in game two, which sets him up to be pitching in this game on normal rest. And it's in L.A. So I, <laughs> I think the Dodgers, look, I think the Dodgers have the, the Mets right where they want him. Now, look, DeGrom was nasty in that game one. But again, you know, if you could, if let's say you started the Grom, let's say you, let's say you got the one not to win, you get Syndergaard going in game one, uh, you get, you know, then you can throw Javi out, 
for game two. Then you got DeGrom again. I mean, you, you, it sets yourself up, I thought, for a perfect scenario for the Mets moving forward. Uh, but they didn't do it. They wanted to go with Mats, and the Dodgers made him pay in the third inning and said, we got our big dog on the mound in Kershaw on short rest, and Kershaw on short rest was able to get the job done. And now we'll have a game five. But, if hey, look, if I'm a Met fan, I would have, and I told you yesterday, I, I would have wanted DeGrom to start on short rest, knowing you get Syndergaard on normal rest in game five if need be. The pitching in this postseason, I've said it, I said it going in. And I hope you're watching. And I hope Red Sox fans are paying attention to this. And I hope Dave Dombrowski, president of Red Sox Baseball Operations, is paying attention to this. Because there are, it's almost like, you know, if you're not throwing 96, 97, you're, you're out of place in this postseason. You are. And I think about that and I look at the top prospect pitchers in the Red Sox. Henry Owens and Brian Johnson. These guys throw 89, 90. I mean, it's, it's almost, and I know they got great off-speed and great curveballs, but the, the Major League Baseball that we, the Major League Baseball world that we live in now, you got to throw heat. These guys don't just throw heat. Like, DeGrom is going to throw a two-seamer. Syndergaard's going to throw a two-seamer at 97, 96 to 98. I mean, Syndergaard throws it like 101, I think, two-seamer outside to lefties. It's Tailing away to lefties, and it, he's a right-handed pitcher. It's, it's insane. You know, these guys have so much control with that pitch. That's why I look at a guy like, here in Boston, like Joe Kelly, and I say, what a complete fucking stiff you are. You throw 96, 97, you can dial it up to 98, and here you are in the second half of the season, in the regular season, not even in the second half, late in the first half. Because Joe Kelly in fantasy, he did well in the second half, at least better in the second half than the first half. When, when he did come back. But at the same time, I thought there was no pressure on him, right? And I, that's all, I thought it was a product of having no pressure. When the pressure was on and he couldn't figure it out and stuff got in his head, you know, and he couldn't locate, he decided to take miles per hour off his fastball. And everyone's like, oh, good strategy. I'm sitting there going, no, that's not a good strategy. Do you think, you mean to tell me if, you t- if somebody in the Mets told DeGrom and Syndergaard to take something off their fastball? You know what they, their reaction would be? They'd say, they'd look at you like you had 10 heads. Say, you nuts? Are you seeing what I can do with this thing? I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. It's just what we're seeing in Major League Baseball right now. And it's not just in this series. It's not just there, right? I mean, Hamels can get it in the mid-90s. Stroman for the Blue Jays can get it in the mid-90s. Um, you know, I, I, I look at, you look at the Cubs, Arietta, right? It's just, you gotta have, you gotta be able to dial it up. And it's almost like all these guys in the bullpen, too. Every guy that comes out of the pen is throwing smoke. And here we are in a Red Sox organization, and I feel like the only guys that we have that can throw smoke, they're terrible. Because And, and some of those guys have tried to not throw as hard as they could. I, I don't understand it. The Red Sox need to go out, and they need to get pitching. And, uh, you know... You look at the Blue Jays tonight, the Blue Jays today. They're going to go with Stroman. They are not going with Price. They had Price come out of the pen in game four. And um, right when he comes out of the pen in game four, you're basically saying he's not starting game five. Stroman's going to start on normal rest. Okay? Instead of starting Price on maybe a day extra rest, they're going to start Stroman on normal rest. I agree with that decision. 
not just because I, I would rather have the guy on normal rest over the guy uh, on extra rest, but also because, you know, David Price. And, and you know, we talk about, so we were doing the same stuff with Kershaw and saying, well, and I said at some point he's got to break out of it. I did feel that way about David Price, but now I'm, I'm not so sure. I mean, he's had many opportunities here. It's just his, he's not good in the postseason. And you know what? Maybe if they can get Stroman to get them over the hump and win this game, give David Price another start or two in the ALCS, maybe he figures it out. I, I don't rule that out because his stuff is that good. But let's you want to be realistic? If you're the Blue Jays and you're going into a must-win game, well, you're going to go with your best, your best starter. And your best starter right now is Marcus Stroman. That's it. That's all, that, that's all this comes down to is who is your best guy that's available to start this game, whether it's on short rest, three days rest, whether it's on normal rest or a day extra rest. The best guy the Blue Jays have is the guy on normal rest, set up for this one in Marcus Stroman. He goes up against uh, a Look, he goes up against the Cole Hamels that has been pretty good in his postseason career. Cole Hamels in the postseason, uh, he has made 14 postseason starts. He is 7-4 and four with a 3.05 ERA. And you look at his strikeout-to-walk ratio, um, 83 strikeouts. 21 walks in those 14 starts. So I think it's fair to say that Cole Hamels is going to come into this game today in Toronto at 4 o'clock, and he's going to be ready, and he's going to bring it. I, I, I think it's fair to say that because, and the, look, this is a rematch from game number two. Hamels gave you seven innings, allowed four runs, only two of them earned, struck out six, didn't walk anybody. 114 pitches. On the other side, Stroman gave you seven innings, allowed five hits, four runs, only three of them earned, walked two, struck out five on 93 pitches. This is going to be a very even matchup today. I'm looking at something like a 4-3 game, 3-2-4-3. And if I had to put my money on anybody, look, I love Hamels in this spot, and you know I'm a pitching guy, but the way this Toronto team can hit and the way they can just when they start hitting, it's like they don't stop. That place is going to be rocking in Toronto. I, I'm i going to have to go with the Blue Jays. I'm going to have to go with the Blue Jays coming up with a couple big home runs in this one. That's what this is going to come down to today. Who can have a couple big home runs in this play, in, in Toronto that is going to be rocking today? Who's going to come down with it? I, I, just, I have to look at these lineups. Beltre is banged up right now, okay? He's banged up. And I, I gotta. If I have to put my money on a team in Toronto, it's gonna be the Blue Jays' offense. I just feel like this offense is too powerful, too good, too stacked with power hitters. They're they're gonna be up there swinging for the fences today. I just feel like they're too good to 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 not put a couple balls in the seats today. And I like Stroman to be good enough to help them win. So I'm gonna go with the Blue Jays to win this one today, and to go into the ALCS. And who will they play? I'm going to have to go with Kansas City. McHugh is the only starter today in these ALDS games that's on extra rest. I know it's only an extra day. McHugh was good in game one. Johnny Cueto's not been great. It's in Kansas City. I just think the poise that Kansas City's lineup showed to come back 
against Houston in that game four. I thought it was awfully deflating for the Astros and their bullpen. And if the Kansas City Royals at any point can get to the Astros' bullpen today, which I think they will because McHugh, as I, as I just imagine he will be on an extra day's rest early in this game, might be a little rusty. Cueto will be good enough for Kansas City to win maybe a 5-4 to four game, 6-4 game. So I'm going to say that the ALCS is what I had predicted, the Toronto Blue Jays and the Kansas City Royals. That's what I'm going with. So whatever happens in these games, I will break it down on tomorrow's podcast and also tomorrow give a little bit more of a preview to Game 5 of the NLDS between the Mets and the Dodgers in L.A., DeGrom versus Greinke. So this is... I mean, you look at some of these pitching matchups, this is as good as you get here in the divisional series with three of these series going five games. As good as you get. And the action just isn't going to be slowing down any time soon. So outside of that, we also got NFL. I won't ignore the NFL, even though I'm a postseason baseball guy more than a football guy. But you know if you listen to this podcast, I still get you jacked up for the National Football League. And of course, when the games come around, like... But tomorrow night, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be sitting there. I'll have the remote control in hand. But I'll be on Dodgers Mets most of the night. Then I will be for Falcons and Saints. I will. I really will. Uh, But when Sunday rolls around, obviously, I'll be jacked up for the games. uh, Especially when it comes to Sunday night and the Patriots and the Colts in Indy. And in case you're wondering, the spread as of right now, Wednesday... Afternoon, the Colts are a nine-and-a-half-point underdog in Indy against the Patriots team that's going to go in there and that's going to run the score up and beat the shit out of this Colts team. That really isn't that good anyways. right? Even if the Colts are one of the best teams in the league, though, I'd still be telling you the Patriots are going to go in and just stomp all over the Colts in their own building because of what happened with the Flakegate, because the Colts were the ones that got the ball rolling, ratting the Patriots out to the league for something that we don't even know they did, right? Patriots, they can say what they want. Internally, they, their mouths have been watering for this game. They don't overlook the previous team, as we see. They don't do that. But you know that they've had this one highlighted, circled, underlined in bold on their schedule. And I can't wait to see the Patriots kick the Colts' ass on Sunday night. But there's a, there's a lot of games before that, and it begins on Thursday night. So let's get into the Week 6 NFL preview as I do every Wednesday. Turn the page to the following NFL week. As I mentioned, 14 games on the schedule for Week 6, beginning tomorrow night, Thursday night, with the Atlanta Falcons in New Orleans and ending Monday night with the Giants in in Philadelphia against the Eagles. Four teams have a bye this week in week six. The Cowboys, the Raiders, the Rams, and the Buccaneers. A quick note there on a couple of these teams, or maybe just one. The Cowboys, they have this bye week. They're going to get the extra week, and they decide that this is a good time to make their quarterback change. Brandon Whedon is going to be benched here. Brandon Whedon's going to be benched for Matt Castle. They had traded for Matt Castle with the Bills a couple weeks ago. You know, we know what Castle did when he stepped in for Tom Brady. You know, he led the Patriots to, or I shouldn't say led. I should say was a part of a Patriots team that won 11 games that didn't make the playoffs in 2008, right, when Brady got hurt. So I think that Castle, he has this 
there's something, at least that's on his resume, right? If, if you're the Cowboys, you're looking around the league and you're saying, okay, Romo's out for an extended period of time. Who can we get to play quarterback for us that has been in a situation where a stud quarterback went down with a long-term injury and that backup stepped in and was able to be good enough to where we could be still a team that has a chance to compete for the division. Now, Cowboys are not in as bad shape as the Patriots were that year because Brady was out for the season. Romo, we at least we expect Tony Romo to return this year. So, with that said, Matt Castle has that on his resume. I guess the Bills looked at him. They felt like they didn't really need him. They made the trade. And uh, here's Matt Castle with the Cowboys, and not just with the Cowboys now, being named the starting quarterback after the bye week. They get the bye week this week, so it gives Castle an extra week, I guess. And uh, Brandon Whedon's getting benched. And and I know when you look at it, maybe real quick, you say, all right, I can see that. You know, with Brandon Whedon under center, he came in that game against the Eagles. And yes, the Cowboys won that game. But since then, uh, the Cowboys under Brandon Whedon, they just, they haven't won, right? They've lost three straight now. And you could say, yeah, maybe it is time to make a quarterback change because the Cowboys still have a shot. They're two and three on the season. Uh, They're tied with the Redskins and the Eagles, all with two and three records. The only team ahead of them is the New York Giants, and they're not running away with the division at three and two. So the Cowboys say we still get a shot. We get a bye week. We'll make the quarterback change because really with Whedon as a starter, we're 0-3. And, you know, big picture, you look at that and you say, yeah, that makes sense. I look at it a little bit more in depth. And I say, I'm kind of surprised by this move. I really am. Because let's look at what the Cowboys have had to face with Brandon Whedon under center as a starting quarterback. And you can't just ignore the fact that they still won the Eagles game with Whedon as the quarterback. I don't think you can ignore that. But what happened after that was, all right, they lost to the Falcons, a Falcons team that just, they put up points, even though they didn't put up a whole lot of points last weekend at home when I needed them to against the Redskins, but that's for another time. But still, uh, the Cowboys are a team that they, they scored 28 points against Atlanta. I mean, Whedon wasn't that good in that game. He did throw an interception, didn't throw any touchdowns. Uh, so that one, all right, he wasn't great. It was his first start of the season. Then you go to New Orleans, though, on Sunday night, and I look at that game, Brandon Whedon, 16 of 26 for 246 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions, and uh, if you look at what happened late in that game, he led the Cowboys on a 90-yard drive and threw a phenomenal pass down the right sideline for the touchdown that, Tied the game at 20. He throws the touchdown. A 91-yard drive in in two minutes, right? And he drives him down, and he gets that 17-yard pass down the right sideline to Terrence Williams. Remember, he was diving for it. It was a, a beautiful play, a beautiful drive. I'm sitting there going, you know, if the Cowboys can pull this out, then we're going to be talking about that 90-yard drive from Brandon Whedon to end that game. The Cowboys never even got the ball back after that. The the Saints drove down at the end of regulation. They missed the field goal. Then in overtime, they get the ball first. And you get two plays and an 80-yard C.J. Spiller touchdown. You never even gave Brandon Whedon a chance to win that game, even though he came back and tied it. So I don't blame that loss on Whedon. In fact, if anything, I praise Whedon for the way he got the Cowboys back in the game if his 
defense could have stopped any of the two drives at the end, then maybe it would be a different story. And my question would be to the Cowboys, if, if your defense stepped up and could do anything at the end of that game on Sunday night against the Saints two weeks ago when Brandon Whedon had that great 90-yard drive to tie the game at the end of the fourth quarter, if you somehow find a way to make a defensive stop and win that game by a field goal, are you, ta- are you benching Brandon Whedon because he lost to the Patriots? Uh, is that what you're doing? Because that would be a, I think that would be a terrible decision. And that's the way I look at it. That Saints loss was not Whedon's fault. And then you lose to the Patriots. Look, the Cowboys had no shot against the Patriots. I don't care what was going on. Greg Hardy was making Nate Solder look terrible. Now, we got some Nate Solder news because Nate Solder is actually, I'm reading this actually now, breaking news, out for the season with torn right biceps. And we know he was injured in that game. Uh, and, you know, he, he he did not have a good day. He did not have a good day. Nate Solder, he is now off for the season. So the Patriots, they got a big question mark there with their left tackle, right? The guy who's covering Brady's behind. Who's going to be that? Who's going to be that guy? So they they got a big question mark there in that spot. But when Solder was there last week, at least when he was playing, he wasn't very good. He had a tough day. Tough day. As tough as you'll see. And Brady was on the ground and hit a lot in that game against the Cowboys. Patriots still won. Even with that said, Cowboys had no shot in this one. Cowboys had no shot. So I'm a little surprised that Cowboys are making this move for Whedon. Because it's not like, I know that Castle has that on his resume, that he was able to step in for the top dog quarterback and get help a team to 11 wins, or at least be a part of a team with 11 wins. But I mean, it's just, it, I still, I don't know how you look at that and say, we need Matt Castle. Brandon Whedon, I don't think he was terrible. And in fact, if they won that Saints game, it wasn't his fault that they lost. In fact, it was because of Brandon Whedon that they even had a chance to win. It was Dallas's defense. If they win that, are you going to bench Whedon because he lost to the Patriots? The best team in the, in, in the league in, in football? No way. You shouldn't. And that's why I'm surprised. I think I would have given Whedon one. I think I would have given Whedon one more go at it. I really do. I would have given him one more go because you return from the bye and you go to New York, you go to the Giants. Again, a team that, you know, it's, the Giants are beatable here. They are. And they're not running away with the division. I don't know. I just, I, I don't know that I agree with the move to go to Castle. But we'll see how it plays out for the Cowboys. They're in a bye week. I don't mean to spend too much time on the teams with the byes. But that's a story that comes out today that I was a little surprised with. I'm not going to lie to you. So uh, let's get to the teams that are playing, shall we? And as I mentioned, the week number six in the NFL, the week begins with Atlanta, New Orleans, tomorrow night, Thursday night. Julio Jones is banged up, but I think I read a quote from him earlier that said, they're going to have to cut off his leg in order for him to not play in this game on Thursday night. So he's going to play. How much action does he see? I'm not so sure. The Saints, they had a tough loss to the Eagles this weekend, right? And now here are the Saints. With a one and four record, uh, they're banged up. They're not the same team, obviously. And you know, I just is Atlanta at five and all as bad as maybe Atlanta might have looked at times against the Redskins team. That in Atlanta they should have beat a lot worse than the way. I mean, they only won because Kirk Cousins threw a pick six late. You know, in that game. Uh, so, and what was that? That was in overtime, right? I mean, yeah, it was in overtime in Atlanta. 
Atlanta going into the game, I said they should have whooped the Redskins in Atlanta based on, on the points and the way the offense just works for Atlanta in their own building. Credit to the Redskins, D, a little bit. But, you know, as that game played out, I'm sitting there going, Atlanta's, they should win this game. Going in, I say they should have, but as they the way they were playing, they shouldn't have won. Uh, but Atlanta's still undefeated. You know, does Atlanta go into New Orleans and lose? I'm not so sure about that. So, the Falcons, I think they probably remain undefeated, but that's the Thursday night game. I told you I'll be watching more postseason baseball. Anyways, uh, but then you get the Sunday at 1. Sunday at 1, the 1 o'clock, Denver goes to Cleveland. The Denver Broncos, they are still undefeated, and it didn't look great in a win against the Raiders in week number five as Peyton Manning for the second game this season did not throw a touchdown pass. But hey, the Broncos are 5-0, and all, and I guess until someone beats them, uh, I'm I, I can't sit here and crush them too much. They go up against the Cleveland Browns team that is coming off an overtime win over the Baltimore Ravens in Baltimore. But, I mean, is Cleveland the team that's going to give Denver their first loss? I don't envision that being the case. So, as ugly as maybe some of these Denver wins look, they're a four-and-a-half-point favorite in this one. And uh, I, I just I really don't envision the Browns being the first team to beat Denver this season. I don't. I really don't. Then you get to Cincinnati is going to Buffalo. The Bengals, they are still undefeated. They got a true test on Sunday against the Seahawks, and the Bengals answered. They answered the test with an overtime win, 27-24 in Cincinnati. And now they go up against a Buffalo Bills team that's coming off, what, a one-point win over the Tennessee Titans? Buffalo, they got some issues. They don't know who their quarterback's going to be right now. It could be E.J. Manuel. Tyrod Taylor may be injured in his MCL. Rex Ryan playing some mind games as to who's going to be his quarterback. Uh, But a couple other injury notes to the Bills. LaShawn McCoy and Sammy Watkins return to practice. So the Bills, they might be losing their quarterback in Tyrod Taylor. And EJ Manuel may be starting. But uh, they get one of their top running backs in McCoy back and one of their top wide receivers in Watkins back. So we think. So the Bills right now... Questionable what their roster or starting lineups even going to look like in this one, but it's in Buffalo, so it might not be the easiest game in the world for the Bengals. But I still think that the Bengals have proven to me that was a true test against the Seahawks. I don't think they'll go into Buffalo and be snoozing. I think the Bengals is a three and a half point favorite. I I, I would expect and look, this isn't my picks. I do picks picks on Friday as I mentioned. So. I'm, I'm just mentioning the spread to you. I, I'm not making any picks with the spread yet. I'm just giving you the spread, and then I'm, I'm looking at it just head-to-head, just the matchup. Cincinnati, Buffalo. Buffalo might give them a game in Buffalo, but I, I would expect Cincinnati to still be undefeated when this game is said and done. Then we go to Minnesota where the Chiefs play the Vikings. Vikings coming off their bye week, and Kansas City... They are 1-4 and four right now. And you know I've been high on Kansas City. Now they're in the basement of the AFC West. And I told you they should have beat the Bears. They should. They should beat the Bears in Kansas City. Especially in Kansas City. I mean, I would have picked Kansas City to beat the Bears in Chicago this season. But if you had told me in that game Jamal Charles was going to tear his ACL, that's as deflating as it gets. Okay, especially for a team that goes into that game with a one and three record with a whole lot of pressure on them to put some points on the board in their own building against the 
a terrible Bears team. That's deflating. And the Bears, they took advantage of that deflating injury. And, uh, yeah, the Kansas City Chiefs, they lost by one point to the Bears, 18-17. to And things do not look good for Kansas City right now. So the Chiefs, they are in Minnesota. This is not going to be good for the Kansas City Chiefs either. Minnesota is... As I mentioned, a team that I think is going to the playoffs. I told you at the beginning of the season, they're proving it to me. I think the Vikings, as a four-point favorite, I think that's about right. If you told me Minnesota would be a six, seven-point favorite in this game, I might even agree with that based on the injuries now that Kansas City was is dealing with. Jamal Charles is out. He's one of the best players in the league. And, uh, yeah, they're going to feel the effects of that. So, Minnesota, they should win this game in Minnesota against the Chiefs team. That is just, they must be as deflated as you could be right now in Kansas City about the Chiefs. Then we have the Houston Texans in Jacksonville against the Jaguars. And, you know, the Jaguars are no good, and neither are the Texans, so this is a terrible game. Texans, I think they're saying Brian Hoyer is going to start this game. It doesn't matter. You saw what happened to them against the Colts, and their quarterback, controversy, I guess. Mallet got hurt, took himself out of the game, thought it was just for maybe a play to get his wind back, but they kept Hoyer in. Mallet was unhappy about it. Uh, I mean, unhappy, happy, excited. It doesn't matter. Hoyer, Mallet, put either guy in. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Mallet in the second half of this one, even against Jacksonville. It's, it's just, They're going to be doing this all year long. I told you this going into the season. Texans are a one-and-a-half-point favorite in Jacksonville. I don't know. I guess I got to go with the home team in the Jacksonville Jaguars, right? In this one over the Texans. I just, I can't see Hoya, Mallet. That situation is just not going to work out for them. And even Arian Foster's looked bad at times. He's dropping passes right in his hands that has led to interceptions. He's fumbling the football. It just doesn't look good in Houston. Not saying it looks great in Jacksonville, but these two teams are so bad that I got to just take the home team in the Jaguars in that one. Then, 1 o'clock, the Bears go into Detroit. Speaking of two terrible teams, Detroit is the only winless team in the NFL. I told you about the Lions. I said, after their first two losses, I said, I look at their schedule. They could, they're going to start the season 0-5. That's exactly how the Detroit Lions have started the season. Now, as an 0-5 team, they are a three-point favorite at home against the 2-3 and Bears team. A Bears team that has won two straight games against the Raiders and the Chiefs. Two AFC West teams, and uh, you know, I I look at this and say, all right, the Bears. I don't buy into them. I don't think they're a good team. Cutler is back, fine. I just think they've lost too much talent. They've been banged up as well. Detroit, Stafford threw three interceptions this weekend against Arizona. Uh, he was benched late in the game. They're saying he's going to start. Look, they're at home. I'm just telling you this. The Lions get their first win of the season, I think, against Chicago. I think they get it. I think they get their first win. I really do. I think they get it. If they're going to get it against anybody, they're going to get it this week against the Bears. So Detroit, they're a favorite only because it's at home. And uh, I'll have them. I think they'll beat the Bears in this one. But it's another terrible game. It is. Redskins at the Jets. Jets coming off the bye week. Redskins coming off. Uh, a game in which, you know, they coughed it up in overtime to the Falcons. But they look, they played the Falcons tough. The Redskins, if they're showing us anything, they're showing us that their defense is going to keep them in some ball games. They're a six-point dog at, at the Meadowlands against the Jets. 
Uh, but the Jets, to me, I just I they have a better defense than Washington. So I I think the Jets will be able to score enough points. This should be a low scoring game, I think. And uh, may, I, I go maybe like 17, 14 Jets or something, but I expect the Jets to win at home. Maybe if this was in Washington, given the way the Redskins' defense has played, I, I, I might be inclined to pick Washington to win this, but it's in New York. I'll pick the Jets just to win. Again, I'm not taking spreads yet. I'm just looking at games, looking at the matchups on the field, and telling you who I think has the advantage. And it's what I do every Wednesday with the weekly preview. I give my picks with the spread on Friday. So I got the Jets beating the Redskins. How about the Cardinals and the Steelers? They're saying that this is, and this is in Pittsburgh, and Steelers are three and a half point underdog right now. They're saying that Big Ben is going to participate in seven on sevens. He's got the MCL injury. If he returned for this game, he'd be way ahead of schedule. They're sort of teasing it. I don't think there's any chance Ben Roethlisberger plays in this game. But the fact that they beat the San Diego Chargers on Monday Night Football, it must just give a little bit more energy and rejuvenate Big Ben to say, all right, let's go. We got a shot here. We're staying alive. We're staying afloat. We're three and two. You know, Cincinnati might be running away with the division, but guess what? We There's still a wild card spot, so I'm going to do everything I can to return as soon as possible. I do think that that win over San Diego maybe gives the... It maybe gives Pittsburgh the thought process of, all right, maybe we shouldn't hold off on Ben Roethlisberger for six weeks. If he can come back in four, maybe five, maybe we'll push it a little bit harder. If you lose, you know, if Pittsburgh came out and they lost three out of the gate when Ben goes down, lost the next four when Ben goes down, I think you might handle the Roethlisberger MCL situation differently. You might not try to push him too hard. You might not try to rush him back, but... This saying Roethlisberger is going to participate in seven on sevens. You see him on the field throwing with the brace. Uh, you know, it looks like they're going to be serious about trying to get him in as soon as possible. I don't think it's going to be this Sunday at one in Pittsburgh against Arizona. And if it's not, I don't assume Pittsburgh's going to win. I think Arizona will go into Pittsburgh and, uh, you know, be an Arizona Cardinals team that doesn't look like how they looked against the St. Louis Rams two weeks ago when they lost to the Rams. I, I'm still shocked that the Cardinals are not still undefeated. Cardinals did what they should do to a terrible Detroit team last weekend. And if Big Ben doesn't play for Pittsburgh, the Cardinals, uh, they should be able to take care of business against the Steelers at Heinz Field. Uh, but I don't think I don't think Roethlisberger will play, so Arizona should be able to win that game. And then we got Miami in Tennessee. 1 o'clock, Dolphins coming off the bye. Tennessee had their bye two weeks ago. The Titans lost a one-point game to the Bills. This is another terrible game. You're looking for a storyline. Maybe we're looking for the Dolphins with their new coach. First game with their new coach. You know, this big, tough guy coach that has the Dolphins taking part in the Oklahoma drill during practice. I think in his first day on the job. And he says he wants to be tough. We don't want to be soft. Tannehill getting mad at players in practice for picking them off. I don't know what the fuck's going on in Miami. I'll tell you this. I don't know if this new coach is going to be any good or not. But from everything that I hear coming out of Miami, since Philbin has left, even when Philbin was there, it just sounded like Philbin was a little bit too soft. And you could sort of, even though I had the Dolphins winning a wild card this year, uh, I thought the Nadamican suit thing would be a little bit more effective for him. And I, I do like Tannehill. Look, Tannehill's the type of quarterback where he's going to make the big boy throw 
that that not many quarterbacks in the league can make for a touchdown. And then on the next possession, he'll go three and out because he will give you three of the worst throws you've ever seen in your life. And I just I just can't figure it out or put it together. What I do know is that the talent is there. It's just can you put it together for a complete game and for an entire season? I thought maybe this would be the year. It obviously is not. They needed to make the coaching change. I don't know if this new coach is going to be any good or not, but I'll tell you that Philbin, the Philbin regime was too soft. Okay? It was too soft. So maybe the Dolphins, they're an underdog in Tennessee. Maybe they're rejuvenated at first. I think if you stay as as tough on pro athletes, like this guy seems like he's going to for an extended period of time, it might not work out. I think there's a middle ground between this new guy and Philbin that they might have to find in Miami. But until they find it, I think at first, out of the gate, first game back, you get the bye week, Dolphins I think will be fired up. I do. I think they'll be fired up. And they sh- I think they should be able to go into Tennessee and win. I really feel that way. So uh, we'll keep an eye on it. And then you got Carolina in Seattle for the four, first 4 o'clock game at 4.05. The Panthers coming off a of bye week. They, believe it or not, as I mentioned, are one of the undefeated teams remaining. They're 4-0. Uh, Seattle should win this game. Seattle's a 6.5-point favorite. They get beat in Cincinnati in overtime, and they come home, though, and and nobody has home field advantage more than the Seahawks do. I expect Carolina to lose their first game of the season this Sunday at 4 o'clock in Seattle. It's as simple as that because it's in Seattle. San Diego in Green Bay, 425. There is no way the Packers at Lambeau are going to lose to San Diego. There's no way, okay? Now, the Chargers open this game up as a 10-point underdog. I, I tell you what. My eyes light up at the 10 points only because, and yes, Chargers, the way they ended their game on Monday night was typical Charger fashion. Like, the Chargers should not, at home, should not lose to the Steelers without Ben Roethlisberger. They just shouldn't. It's, it's inexcusable. You should not lose that game if you're San Diego. Monday night football, especially when you have a three-point lead at the end of that game. Kick a field goal, you know, to take a 20-17 to lead. you got to make a stop. And, in fact, on the final play of the game, the Steelers basically said, "Uh, you know, we're going for it. Instead of kicking the field goal to tie it and send it to overtime, which is what I would have done, they said, we're going for it. Not only did the Steelers say, we're going for it, on one last play with five seconds left, what they did was they decided to put Michael Vick out as a wideout and have Le'Veon Bell take the direct snap. They told the Chargers what they were going to do on the final play. Not just go for it, but they told them the play they were going to run. Le'Veon Bell, direct snap, running into the end zone. Chargers still couldn't stop it. So in typical Charger fashion, they find a way to disappoint. And, But I will say this. As much as they disappointed in that moment, in a game that they should have won, well... I have a feeling that, in typical charge of fashion, as a 10-point dog, they might give Green Bay a game on Sunday at 425 at Lambeau. Now, I told you, there's no way Green Bay is going to win, but I think the Chargers will give them a game. Antonio Gates, he's returned, and he's doing his thing right now. And look, I think that Antonio Gates, him, him joining this team, rejoining this team, serving a four-game suspension... 
I really think that we and we see it. We see how much Philip Rivers loves going to him. That's that's going to pay off for San Diego here down the stretch and their offense down the stretch. They're a ten point dog in Green Bay. I think the Packers win, but I tell you what, there is. There is something that my eyes light up when I see the 10 points and I see that the Chargers are a 10-point underdog in this one. And uh, I, I won't tell you I'm going to pick them yet because we'll see what happens with the spreads. I don't make my pick until Friday. But while I think the Packers are going to win this game, right, I also think the Chargers might. I think the Chargers might keep this close, as bad as it may have looked <laughs> against the Steelers on Monday night. That's just what... That's just what I expect the Chargers to do, right? They lose a game they should win, absolutely. That's what they do every year. There are games on the Chargers' schedule that they just shit the bet on. And that was one Monday night. Like, that's a game you have to, on your schedule, without Ben Roethlisberger, at home, on Monday Night Football, against the Steelers. you got to win that game. And they had an opportunity to do it late, and they couldn't get it done. And then there are games, they'll have those games in the, in the season, and in the same season, they'll have a game where they go into a place like Lambeau, and you say, well, Packers, 10-point favorite, undefeated, you know, one of the best teams in football, if not the best, to go along with the Patriots. We know what Aaron Rodgers, how good he is in Lambeau, how good he is in his own, in his own home. They're going to put up 35, 40 points. Chargers will have no shot based on how they looked against the Steelers. And the Chargers will surprise you, and they'll, They'll have a chance to win the game late, right? That's the, I expect the Chargers to be in this game, but I don't expect them to win it. And then at 425, another 425, you get the Ravens in San Francisco. Uh, this is a terrible game. Two teams that are not going anywhere this season. The Ravens last week, they lost to the Browns in overtime in Baltimore, and then the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday Night Football. They lost to the Giants in New York. The 49ers are no good. Uh, you know, they're 1-4. And you look at the Baltimore Ravens. They're no good. They're 1-4. It's a battle of two terrible 1-4 teams. And um, it, thank God it's not the Sunday Night game. Because the Sunday Night game is the Patriots and the Colts. And I told you right now the Patriots are 9.5 point favorites on this Wednesday afternoon. And the Patriots... I'm surprised it's only nine and a half. I really am. I'm sh- I'm shocked actually that it's only nine and a half. Patriots they have something to prove in this game, and I don't say something to prove that this season they're one of the best. I'm saying when you when you put it all into play, Deflategate. Who started Deflategate? The Patriots to a man behind the scenes. They 100 percent just have had this game circled and highlighted on their schedule. And they don't just want to win this game. They want to go in and keep scoring every single time they get the ball. I wonder if there's an over-under on how many punts the Patriots have in this game. Like, how many times do we see Ryan Allen, Patriots punter? Do we see him at all? You know what? I'm willing to bet that we don't. I'm willing to bet that we don't. I'm willing to bet there's a couple moments late in this game that people around the NFL are going to be talking about to say, oh, did the Patriots cross the line? Did they did they run up the score? Did they, you know, did they go for it on fourth down when they were already up by 46? Why did they why the fuck did they do that? I can see it now. There will be some dickheads on ESPN who are saying that. And I won't be. I'll be sitting here watching this game going, no. Oh what? Fourth and one? You're up by 46 with three minutes left in the fourth? 
No, go for it. In fact, fuck it. Tom Brady, QB sneak. You know what? No, fuck that. Play action deep down the sideline on fourth down. That's what I want to see him do. I want to see him crush his team, and I think they will. So there's your Sunday night game. It should be exciting. It should be exciting based on the fact that may, I don't know if we're going to see a beaten like this. Now, I, in fairness to my picks and teams giving teams beatings, I also thought the Patriots, and I said yesterday on the podcast, that I thought that it would be worse than what it was in Dallas on Sunday with the Patriots-Cowboys. I meant I thought the Patriots would beat up the Cowboys worse than they did. You're not to say that a 30-6 to win isn't good. I just thought the Patriots would be putting up maybe 40-something in that game. Right? Um, but, look, they beat them. They beat them good, and they're going to take the Colts and just stomp them on Sunday night football, leading us in to Monday night football. The Eagles and the Giants, NFC East, still up for grabs. The Eagles get a win over the Saints on Sunday, so it keeps them alive, even though the Giants won their game on Sunday night against the 49ers. Right now, the Eagles are a three-and-a-half-point favorite. I'm leaning towards taking the points in this one because you know I don't like the Eagles. Uh, they got a they, you know they they got a big game out of Demarco Murray last game, running and receiving. I I think that the G men though should be good enough to go into Philly and at least give themselves a chance to win this one. Um, yeah, I'll pick. I, I think I'll pick the G men to win it. But that's how we'll close out the week, and that is week number six in the NFL. In a nutshell, trying to see if there's anything else out there that's going on that's crazy right now. No, I think we covered it all. I'm sure some things will change, and I don't know if the line will change on the Thursday night game. Falcons are a a three-and-a-half-point favorite in New Orleans. That's how we will begin week six tomorrow night. But uh, tomorrow's podcast, you know, we'll... we'll, if If I have a pick for it for the Thursday night game, I'll give it to you. If I tell you to stay away, you know, that's because I don't feel comfortable with it. I don't just pick the pick. On Friday, I give you five games with the spread. Picks, picks. We'll do that, though, on Friday. Tomorrow, though, I think, you know, we'll still get into postseason baseball mostly because, again, two huge games tonight in the ALDS. Game five and my picks. I'm sticking with my originals. Toronto and Kansas City. In Toronto, in Kansas City. I, I, I can't bet against Toronto's offense at home in this game. And I just, I don't like a guy on extra rest, which is what Colin McHugh is against Johnny Cueto. It's in Kansas City. I, I, if I'm a Houston Astros fan, I hate how that game four ended. I just, as a baseball fan in general, I hated seeing the Astros. You know, there's a cel- I like celebrations. There are good celebrations, but you can, you can celebrate too much. And I, I think it's tough to differentiate what is celebrating too much and what is just, you know, being a team that's feeling good about themselves and they've, they deserve to celebrate during a game, it, you can sense it. And I sensed it as the Astros celebrated those two home runs that they had in what, the bottom of the seventh in game four? Where it's just, you, you got to sense that maybe they thought that was the end of the game, and it wasn't, and Kansas City proved that it wasn't, and now they force a game five. I'm I'm not feeling good about the Astros in this one. I think the Astros have a very bright future, right? I think they'll be back in it next year, and they'll be back playing in one of these meaningful games here in mid-October next year, and maybe next year's the year that they, they get past that game, but they're on the road for now in Kansas City. Cueto, I think, should be good enough against McHugh on extra rest. 
And I'm going to go with the Royals. Blue Jays, Royals, those are my picks for tonight. And then tomorrow we'll get into a little bit more of a preview for Game 5 of the NLDS. Mets in L.A. against the Dodgers. DeGrom versus Granky. So anything else that happens today and tonight, I'll react to it on tomorrow's podcast. I'm here five days a week. DannyPicard.com. You can also subscribe on iTunes. Just search The Danny Picard Show wherever podcasts are available. Follow me on Twitter at Danny Picard. Like me on Facebook, Facebook.com slash The Danny Picard Show. All forms of social media. I'm out. Talk to you tomorrow.